0: Well, good morning, East Vancouver. Let me invite you to stand wherever you are, and we're going to read our text for this week. First John 1 3 to 5 says this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our second text comes from Colossians 1, 15 to 17, and there Paul writes. all of creation was made through you and for you and yet we've taken little corners of it for ourselves and for our own little kingdoms oh lord forgive us enlarge our vision of who you are the creating sustaining and recreating lord overall amen well i want to make just one point today just one very simple point over and over and over again. That everything, everything, everything belongs to Christ. That everything belongs to Christ. Abraham Kuyper, at the founding of the Free University in in Amsterdam in 1880, the university which he founded, he looked out over the crowd and he declared these words. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. One point today, with one goal, to show you that every inch of creation belongs to Jesus. And and the way I want to go about doing that is by showing you that the Son who has eternally existed is the one by whom all things were created, by whom all things are right now being sustained, and by whom all things will be recreated or renewed. Our outline is really simple today. It goes like this. One, the sun creates. Two, the sun sustains. And three, the sun renews. So Bible's open, we're going to go back to John's gospel and begin again to read what John writes here. I want to actually begin by rereading what we looked at last week and then focusing in on verses 3 to 5. And so John 1, 3 to 5, with your Bibles open, read that with me. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now new for this week, verses 3 to 5. All things, John writes, were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This series is one that moves along a timeline. We're going to be moving through space and time over the course of our Christology series. Last week, of course, we began outside of space and time, looking at the pre existent eternal sun. This week, though, is literally the very beginning of our timeline, indeed the beginning of all things. And we come to this point in our timeline by affirming that through the Son, the living Word, everything was created. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now what does that actually mean? See, the Bible teaches us that God creates, uh, to use a Latin phrase now for the second week in a row, ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. I'll put that up on the screen for you, which literally means out of nothing. God creates out of nothing. Uh, My children create things out of their existing Lego pieces. We build buildings out of existing wood or steel or or whatever the case is. But God does not create like us. He creates out of nothing. We need matter, pre-existing material. Not so with God. And this is an important distinction that we need to recognize and acknowledge about us as creatures and who God is as creator. See, Paul will tell us in Romans 4.17 that God alone calls into existence things that did not exist. That's Romans 4.17. Only God can do that. And, And the way that the Father creates ex nihilo out of nothing is by speaking is by his living word, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Look at Genesis 1 with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Notice that. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And on and on we read, God said and there was. God said, he spoke, and there was. Now what we discover in John's Gospel is that the word of creation is not some impersonal force, not some minor created deity, but indeed the word is in fact the Son, the second person of the Trinity. We saw that last week and now we see it again this week. And while each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, plays a role, a part in creation, it is the Son who is singled out as the architect of creation in the Bible. We read earlier from Colossians 1, Paul write to the church in Colossae these words, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things were created through him, and notice this, for him. What Paul says at the end there is so important. There's a logic at work here. No- notice, Paul's logic at the end goes like this. All things were created through him, and therefore, if they were created through him, they are created ultimately for him, for Jesus. Everything, everything belongs to Christ because everything was made by Christ. I've been speaking sort of theologically for a long time now. I want to bring this down to the level of application for us. What does this actually mean for us as followers of Jesus in this world? And two things I want to highlight for us. And the first is this. If everything was created by Jesus and is therefore for Jesus. Jesus has a say, in fact more than a say. Jesus is Lord over every single part of your life. Every single part. Every single part. There is not a part of your life at work, wandering the North Shore mountains on the weekend, at home with your family, In sadness and in tragedy, in joy and in celebration, there is not a part of your life that is outside of the domain of Jesus, in which Jesus is not ruling and reigning, has something to say about. See, here's what happens, and here's why I say this. We have this tendency, especially in the 21st century, living in our opulent culture, to minimize Jesus into one slice of our pie. If our life is a whole pie chart, we have our spiritual slice, and Jesus fits in there. Our Sunday slice, or our Tuesday evening slice, that community group, and Jesus fits in there. But only in those places does Jesus rule. Only in those places is is he Lord and and sovereign over all. And what we're left with ultimately is a very small, a very impotent, and, and ultimately very useless Christ. One who speaks to us on Sunday is worth singing about on Sunday, but beyond that has nothing more to say to us about our work or our kids or or whatever the case may be. Listen to what theologian uh, Michael Reeves says on this point. I think he diagnoses the situation well. He says this. Sadly, so many Christians have a background virus in their understanding of the gospel here. It's not easy to spot, but it eats away at their confidence in Christ. It's this. The sneaking suspicion that while Jesus is a savior, he's not really the creator of all. Listen to what Reeves writes. So they sing of his love on a Sunday. And there it is true. But walking home through the streets, past the people, and the places where real life goes on, they don't feel it is Christ's world. As if the universe is a neutral place. As if Christianity is just something we have smeared on top of real life. Jesus is reduced to being little more than a comforting nibble of spiritual chocolate. An imaginary friend who saves souls, but not much else. Let's get very, very practical here. For, for example, do you work in the area of justice? Justice. Perhaps you're a police officer. Perhaps you're a social advocate. Perhaps you're a lawyer. Do you know that all of creation made by a just creator cries out for justice? Do you know that justice and how we seek and pursue justice ultimately and totally finds its definition in Jesus, who Jesus is and what he says about what is right and wrong? good and bad, honorable and praiseworthy, and that which is not honorable and not praiseworthy. Or, Or maybe you're an environmentalist, and I hope that each of us, in the best Christian sense, are environmentalists. Maybe you're an environmentalist. Are you familiar with what the Creator says about caring for what He has made? See, here's what happens. What we do is sometimes, let's just use the example of environmentalism for a second, if you'll humor me, We sometimes settle with adopting cultural narratives. Adopting cultural narratives. In this case, in the case of environmentalism, that sounds something like this. Let's see how many years we can get out of this thing. Or let's just keep this going for our kids. And that's not wrong. There's a part of that that's true. We should think of other people. But it misses the the biblical vision of creation care. It misses what Jesus says in that sphere of life. And what I want us to see is there's not a sphere of your life There's not a sphere of your life, nothing that is outside of the lordship of Jesus. Here's the thing. If Jesus is creator, he is Lord. And if he is Lord over all creation, don't miss this, he speaks a better story, indeed the truest story, and a better reason into everything we do. And yet, and yet, So many of us are satisfied with adopting stories that either frankly don't involve him at all or maybe add him onto the side. That Jesus approves of this cultural story that could either have him in there or not. It doesn't really matter. Is Jesus Lord over every sphere of our life? I want you to take some time this week, Christ City. Assess your work life. Assess what you're you're passionate about. Your, your hobbies and your areas of, of advocacy. And I want to ask you, is Jesus, is, is he dictating that sphere of your life? Is the better story of scripture your foundation for that story in, in your life? That's the first place I want us to just meditate on by means of application. The second area is this, and it's quite different, so this might be a bit jarring, but, but stick with me. The second area of application is this. Jesus creates, the Bible tells us, And then we're told that all that he creates is good. In fact, very good. But when we reject the goodness of the created physical world, Christ City, we fall into this age-old heresy called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism itself is a complex, uh, sort of overarching term that describes a number of different movements that existed around the time of Jesus and beyond. Movements that threatened uh, church orthodoxy, that threatened the vitality and worshiping life of the church. And one of the tenets of Gnosticism, again, it was a diverse movement, but one of the core tenets that existed in Gnosticism was to suggest that the physical was bad and the spiritual was what was truly good. And so what you did is you tried to transcend the physical through the spiritual by obtaining gnosis or knowledge, this secret knowledge. Now, you might be wondering right now, Jake, why are you talking about Gnosticism? What does this mean? Here's something we can't miss. There is no such thing as a new heresy. There is no such thing as a new heresy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are green. And here's what I mean by that. The world, the flesh, and the devil are always recycling old heresies. Old lies about who Jesus is, about what is true about this world, what is true about the character and nature of God. Those lies are being recycled generation after generation after generation, over and over and over again, taking on different veneers, different faces, but the same heresy at root. And it's no different than with Gnosticism. There is a contemporary form of Gnosticism that sounds like this. Maybe you can you know, resonate with this or, or, or you recognize this. sounds like this. Contemporary Gnosticism says you can actually transcend the physical and really boring nature of your life. You can transcend the physical and boring life that you live. How? By escaping into a fantasy land. And you can escape into that fantasy land through social media, through virtual reality, Through video games, pick your poison, but you can escape your boring life, and it's really simple. All you need are the right filters and the right angle on that selfie. And you can portray to the watching world an entirely different person, your ideal person that's not your physical person. This is contemporary Gnosticism. And so what happens? The the husband and wife sit on their bed late at night, both on their individual tablets, both escaping into their own fantasy worlds, both hoping to be someone different, rejecting the physical, rejecting what is in front of them. This is contemporary Gnosticism. See, the reason why social distancing, not gathering, the reason why this, this season is actually really hard is actually really difficult for us as followers of Jesus It's because God's created world is good. God's created physical world was meant to be inhabited by us, physical created creatures, in physical, tangible ways. And so we miss and we yearn for hugs because they point to a greater reality. We miss the opportunity of laying hands on people to pray for them because it symbolizes and represents a greater reality. We mourn the fact that many of us have been forced into this disembodied digital existence that resembles contemporary Gnosticism. The Son creates, and as Creator, He is Lord over every square inch of His good creation. Again, I want to challenge you this week, Christ City. Is Jesus Lord over every aspect of your life? Over every way of your thinking? That's point one. The question I want to now ask is, but how does he rule? See, maybe you're listening in today, and you're thinking to yourself, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're thinking to yourself, I've heard of a God who creates before. And I've heard of a God who rules over his creation before. But how does your God rule? What is he like? Is he distant and far away? This is the teaching of deism, that he's distant and far away. He started the clock and now he's walked away from the world and left it to its own devices. Is he distant and far away? Or is he fickle? Does he need to be pleased uh, daily like the gods of Gnosticism? If we find that secret knowledge, do the right thing, worship the right way, he's, he's fickle, but, but we, got, we can try harder. We can maybe do it. Is he fickle or is he far away? Or is he both? To answer this, I want us to take us to two places in the Scripture. Uh, The first we've already heard. This comes from Colossians 1, verse 17. And there we read Paul talk about Jesus like this. And Jesus, he is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Now look at Hebrews 1, verse 3, the first half of that verse. The author, speaking of Jesus, says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. My second point today is going to be brief and exists only to say this, only to say this, that the son who creates is not far away and he is not fickle. The son who creates is not far away and he is not fickle. He who made you, he who made you is he who is holding everything together, sustaining the entire universe, even now. I know for many of us, it seems like, it feels like, the world has gotten away from God as of late. As if it is a barreling, wildly, blind, blindly, like, trained, heading down the tracks out, out of control, about to plummet off the edge into chaos and ruin and destruction. It seems like the world has got away from God as of late. But while we may feel that to be true right now, we remind ourselves this morning with the truth of God's word that in this case, our hearts lie to us. In this way, our hearts deceive us. The sun is holding all things together. Big things and small things. He is holding all things together. Now if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're, ask, maybe you're asking, why would he do this? From some degree of, of self-interest? Listen to what we've, we've been saying so far. See, out of the overflow of the love that has always existed between Father, Son, and Spirit, he creates But it's out of that same overflow, out of that same fountain of love that he has sustained, is sustaining, and will sustain us, will uphold the universe by the very word of his power. See, at heart, Christianity is far different than the cold survival of the fittest that Darwinian evolution gives us. At heart, at, at the center, it's far better than the hopeless resignation of atheism. See, Jesus and Jesus alone says, I am with you. I've got this because I made you. I am sustaining. Now we ask this question. Well, when exactly did Jesus say this? Or rather, how exactly did Jesus say this? How can we be so sure that he will do this? How can we trust him? Our simple statement that we unpacked last week went like this. The Son is God, beloved by the Father, sent for us. The Son takes on full humanity, bears the name of Jesus, and as God does what humanity cannot do. Looking at 1 John chapter 4 last week, we saw that the love of the Father was on perfect display like never before when he sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus dies on the cross for our sin and in our place. But if Jesus is the creating word, if in Jesus was life itself, as John tells us in John 1, what do you think the chances are of Jesus staying dead? What do you think the chances are that he remains in the grave, that the tomb is full of his body? Zero. Zero. None. Zero. Our passage from John 1, catch this Christ city, don't miss this. Our passage from John 1 begins with identifying Jesus as the word by which all things were created. And it ends, don't miss this, in verse 5 with identifying Jesus as the word by which all things will be recreated how will this recreation happen? Where does it begin? Well, it begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. John 1, chapter 5 says this, the light shines in the darkness, and in reference to the resurrection, John writes, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness has not overcome it. See, when Paul writes in Colossians 1 that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, he's not telling his readers, he's not telling us that Jesus is a the, is the created being, the first of all created beings. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses believe, but again, no heresy is new. That's what Arius taught. He's not telling us that Jesus is the first of created beings. Rather, he's saying that what has happened in Jesus' resurrection is a foretaste, the first fruit of what will happen to us, to you and me. We will have resurrection bodies like Jesus. When Jesus in his life touches the sick and he heals the blind, and he raises people from the dead, we are getting a glimpse in the here and now, where we are right now, of what will happen in the future in full. When Jesus walks on the water, and he calms the wind, he is pointing to the day when all of creation will be fully made new. He gives us a glimpse of his lordship, which he will exercise in totality at the renewal of all things. When all creation, which is groaning right now, is made new. Jesus will will renew all things, and in fact, this renewal has already begun. It's already begun. Jesus, the creator, is busy right now all over the world. Christian, take heart. Jesus the Creator is busy right now all over the world making people like you and me new. He is busy in Iran right now as the church grows. He is busy in China right now as the church grows. He is busy all over the world right now making people like you and me, people who are dead in our sins and trespasses, alive in Him. So much so, So alive, Paul can write in in 1 Corinthians, rather 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's not just different, he hasn't just changed a little bit, he hasn't just improved, he is no, a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. See, this recreation, this renewal, he begins in us, despite our outwardly wasting away, will one day be complete. When the Son who created and the Son who sustains, right now, the Son who sustains, when this Son comes as the Son seated on the throne at the renewal of all things, where Jesus our Lord will declare over every square inch the words of Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Jesus, make us new. You have made us new. Continue to renew us. Jesus, we ask that this renewal would not just happen in us, but would happen in our homes, amongst our children and our friends and our family. It would happen in our neighborhoods, amongst our neighbors who do not know you. It would happen in our corner of the city in East Vancouver and even beyond. Jesus, you are the one who has created, and surely you are the one who recreates, who renews. And we trust our need for renewal to you now as you faithfully and lovingly and gently and graciously sustain us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.